0: How are you guys doing? I'm really, really excited to bring the word tonight. I feel like this is a word that God's put on my heart for quite a bit of time. And it took the preaching training for me to really get it down on paper, to kind of make my thoughts a little bit more coherent. There's a lot that goes on in my head. Only a small fraction of it actually gets out. And uh, it took me a while to really be able to put it into something, you know, understandable. But uh, the word tonight comes from a story that's probably very familiar to you guys. Uh, Let's turn our Bibles to Genesis 45, verse 25 to 28. Genesis chapter 45, verse 25, chapter 45, verse 25 to 28. And you guys should see right away that this is the story of Joseph. And um, just to review just a little bit, Joseph... Um, he had a lot of brothers and sisters. A lot of brothers. Did he have a lot of sisters? We don't really know, right? One, maybe? Anyway, he had a lot of brothers. They were very jealous of him. So they sold him into slavery. Kind of harsh. And then when he was in slavery and he was in bondage, um, you know, he eventually got falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's, ri- Potiphar's wife. He got forgotten in prison by the two people he um, interpreted dreams for. And then he became the second in command over all of Egypt after saving the land from famine. And um, throughout this whole time, if you guys remember the story, he never once stopped being his father Jacob's son. All right, he stayed as a son the whole time. It didn't matter where he was. He always walked with favor, with excellence, and with honor. No matter what he did, he always maintained that identity as a son. And um, then his brothers came to Egypt to get food because the famine in Canaan was so harsh. And um, after a lot of crying, you know, some H&D, Joseph can no longer hide his identity. And so he reveals himself to his brothers, that he was the same Joseph that they had sold into slavery, into bondage so many years ago. And so after revealing himself, um, he gives them provisions and stuff to go back to Canaan to bring his father Jacob back with them. And that's kind of where our passage starts. So why don't we all read it together? So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. Oh, I'm sorry. Is this NIV? NIV. All right, NIV people, please read read with me. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. This is the word of the Lord. Or right, I think we all know, um, just being at this church for so long and just you know, seeing all the things that we've seen, that the words of a father can be really powerful. The words of a father can be powerful. And I'm not just talking about one type of father. You mean, I, I mean the whole trio of fathers. You know, your biological father, your earthly father, uh, your spiritual father, and your heavenly father. All right, the words of a father, they don't just have the ability to make you feel good about yourself, but they have the ability to, hit, to take you into new heights and into new levels, into new depths in your walk with the Lord. All right, so why don't you guys raise your hands if you've ever been blessed by one of Pastor Christian's words. Or keep them up if those words have ever made you cry. Keep them up if those words have made you sob uncontrollably. A few of you guys, and how many of you guys have been brought into a new level of faith because of his words in your life? All right, it should be almost everyone in this room. Now, those are the words of a father, what they can do to you. Um, I got a chance to give my testimony a few weeks ago at the retreat. It was a really good testimony. If you missed it, check out the podcast. And one of the the things um, I got to share about was how during a period of my life when there was so much doubt about my identity and just some simple words from Pastor Christian, some words of affirmation. Uh, they were able to break off the orphan spirit from my life. Just like that. And it wasn't like I'd never heard those words before. I've actually heard those same words that PC spoke over me several times before in my life. But because they came from someone I trusted, because they came from someone that I was in submission to, and because they came from my spiritual father, they had, that, they had the power and authority to break off the lies and deceptions of the enemy from my life. Once and for all. Now, just like it says in Isaiah 55, you know, when the word goes forth, it doesn't come back empty. Never comes back empty. I can say that just being at New Philly over the last four plus years, um, you know, I've seen over and over again people's lives changed and transformed as they've received the words of the Father and the spiritual mother of the house as well. You know, I'm including that. Um, and when I say that they've been blessed, I mean really, really blessed. You know, whether it's through their small group leader, um, through the Sunday swim Father's blessing, or whenever. Even if it's like a short conversation you have in passing. You know, people's lives have just been radically changed just by a single word. You know, that's the power of a word. And, you know, the words of a father have that kind of power. You know, and PC actually preached about this last year. I think it's called the words of a father. But um, we also see this over and over again. (laughs) What a good title, right? This is, you know, what he talks about. You know, uh, We see this over and over again in Scripture as well. You know, it's not just a New Philly thing. This is not just a PC thing, but this is something that's scriptural. It's in the Bible. And, uh, you know, it's so apparent. Um, You know, if we look at the story of Jacob in Scripture, you know, he went to incredible lengths, you know, to even trick his father into blessing him, into getting his blessing, because he knew how important and how powerful those words were. And so... You know, Esau, you know, when I think of Esau, I think of Chris Hemsworth. You guys know him? He plays Thor in the movie Avengers. You know, he's like, except maybe a hairier version. You know, I think of Esau as the guy who had it all. You know, he had, you know, he was like the hunter. He was kind of the, the bad boy, you know, and I'm sure like all the girls liked him over Jacob. You know, and he probably, he probably had a six, six pack, probably, you know. I could, he probably did. I don't mean to stumble you ladies. But I see Jacob more of kind of like the guy Loki, you know. His brother or kind of like a Voldemort type of character, you know, very like snaky, very serpenty. you know, that's kind of what I see in my head, you know, when I think of Jacob and Esau, you know, Esau had everything going for him. He had everything, you know, he had the good looks, he had everything, but what he didn't have was his father's blessing, you know, and that made all the difference in the world, you know, and because of this, Jacob's descendants greatly prospered and from his descendants, we get our savior, Jesus Christ. But if we follow what happened to Esau, uh, let me just read from Malachi uh, chapter 1, 2 to 3. You know, it says, Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. This is God talking. And I've turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the to the desert jackals. And unlike Esau, Jacob was someone who knew the importance of the Father's words. You know, in Genesis 49, 26, right before Jacob dies, he blesses his sons and he says To his sons, your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. You know, Jacob was a man who understood the power of the father's words in his life. Now, as important as we know the words of the father are, I want to say that the words of a son are also incredibly powerful. The words of a son are also incredibly powerful. You know, if someone is really walking in submission as a son and is claiming his inheritance and carries the heart of his father and the DNA of his father inside of him, his words most definitely have power as well. And a lot of times um, we say that the best way to become a father is to be, by first becoming a son and being a good son. And this is true, but I want to add one note to that. You know, not only can we minister as a father, because we think that when we become a son, then we become a father and we minister as a father. But not only can we minister as a father... We can also minister to the Father. We can also minister to the Father. You know, when we minister to God, we make up, um, I mean, we don't make up, but we open up avenues for God to move. When we minister to God, we open up avenues for God to move. You know, Psalm 22.3 is a verse I always tell my worship team. You know, it says that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. When we sing worship, when we minister to God, his kingdom comes down and we allow God's kingdom to reign on the earth. All right, and we see over and over in Scripture how God reacts when his people are ministering to him. We look in the example of Paul and Silas. They're in prison. They're in prison, you know, and they're worshiping God. And as they worship, that opens up the avenue for God's power to come in. And we see them released from prison miraculously. And in the same way that we can minister to God through our praise and worship, we can also minister to our spiritual father through our words and through our actions, and through our faith. So while the words of a father have the power to bless and establish the son, in the same way the words of a son have the power to bless and establish the father. All right, so the title of this sermon is actually called The Words of a Son. And I'm going to talk about kind of three different ways that the words of a son can affect the father. So let's turn back to our scripture. All right, I think... All right, so. Oops. Oh, here we go. All right, so I'm just going to read our scripture passage one more time. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them, but when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, when they told him everything that Joseph, Jacob's son, had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Everyone say with me, revived. revived. All right, the spirit of their father Jacob revived when he heard the words of his son. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. All right, and what's interesting about this passage is that, um, you know, when, the, when his other sons talked to his father, You know, Joseph, I mean, Jacob was stunned. He did not believe those words of his other sons. But when his true son, Joseph, talked to him, his spirit revived. All right, to begin with, the words of a son revive the father into worship. The words of a son revive the father into worship. So as the words or the inheritance and the anointing of the father flows down, honor should naturally be flowing up. And as this happens, as the father is honored, and as the honor goes up, the father is revived, rejuvenated, refreshed, and he's made ready. You know, our submission not only gives us strength, or we know our submission gives us strength, but it gives strength to those who cover us to do their job even better. All right, all the leaders in this house know that very well. All right, Proverbs 10.1, it says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. All right sorry Pastor Aaron in proverbs twenty three fifteen to seventeen says, "My son, if your heart is wise and my heart too will be glad, my heart too will be glad. He repeats it, my inmost being will exult other translations say, rejoice and celebrate when your lips speak, what is right when we 're speaking the words You know, it makes our father worship and brings him into a place of thanksgiving. You know, we see this over and over again with the Apostle Paul in all his letters. You know, in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you, to my sons. In Ephesians 1, Paul says, Because I've heard of your faith, you know, I do not cease to give thanks for you. In Philippians, Paul says again, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He does the same thing in almost every single one of his letters. All right, almost every single one of his letters. Oops, sorry. All right, and actually... Oops. Uh-oh. A lot of pages. All right, and he says to his spiritual son, Timothy, you know, I thank God as I remember you. And we also see this with the Apostle John. You know, if we look in Third John 3 to 4, he says... For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. When you guys are walking in the truth, that brings no greater joy to the heart of the Father. Uh, we're going to quickly just watch a video over here. I don't know if that's legal at Friday Fire, but we're going to watch the video. And it's a video that a lot of you guys have probably seen before, but uh, John, why don't you roll it?
1: I can only imagine I can only imagine When that day comes When I find myself Standing inside I can only imagine
0: So if you guys have never, um, heard of this team before, um, the father's name is Richard Hoyt and, uh, his son is Rick Hoyt. And what you just saw in the video is an Ironman triathlon. Now, if you know what that is, you know, it starts with 2.4 miles of swimming, then it goes to 112 miles of biking. And to finish it off, you finish off with a full 26.2 miles full marathon and, um, you know, It's a pretty incredible video, and there's just a lot of different analogies you can draw for, from it. But uh, you know, I'm just going to share just a little bit of the story. You know, Rick, the man on the wheelchair, you know, he was born with the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. And so his brain was deprived of the oxygen, and so he was born as a quadriplegic and with cerebral palsy. And so he had no control over his joints. And actually, kind of a cool story that came, just right as he was born... You know, because they knew something was wrong with their son. And his wife, Judy, was talking to, you know, Richard, his husband, her husband, and she asked him, you know, because Richard was planning to name his son after himself. And after they had heard that he wasn't going to be normal, that he would never lead a normal life, you know, Judy, the wife, asked, you know, her husband, you know, do you want to still name him after yourself? Do you want to still name him after yourself? And... You know, Richard looked at Judy in the eyes, and, he was, and then he looked at his son. and He's like, of course I do. You know, of course I do. And so they call him Rick, but his full name is actually also Richard. And, you know, when he finally got diagnosed with cerebral, with cerebral palsy, the doctors told his father, Richard, to put Rick into an institution. All right, to put him in, into an institution for other disabled people. And just to forget about him. This is literally what they told him. To forget about him. Don't visit or even think about him. Just go on with your life. It'll be so much easier. That's what famili- that's what families do in similar situations. That's what they had told him. They told him, Rick, your son is nothing more than a vegetable. Just put him in an institution, it'll be better for the both of you. And so Richard and his wife Judy, you know, they talked. And as they were talking, you know, they just looked. You know into their son's eyes they looked into Rick's eyes just every day cuz this was this took this process took years you know they just looked into his eyes every day and as they looked into his eyes you know they just saw something move they saw something inside of him that was turning they saw the gears changing and they knew just, they just knew you know there was not really really any physical evidence but they knew that he was learning and so from that day on they chose not to put him into, into an institution but instead to treat him as a normal boy You know, so they took him swimming, you know, they took him out to play with his other brothers, you know, they sat him at the dinner table, they talked to him, they taught him the ABCs, you know, they even took him to go see the Boston Bruins, you know, their favorite ice hockey team. You know, I don't really like Boston, I'm from New York, but, you know, I'll give it to him. And they took him to see the Bruins and, you know, they just treated him as a normal kid. And so when he was eight years old, through a connection at Tufts University through the engineering department, they went and they saw and they were asking, you know, is there any way that you could help us to find a way for Rick to communicate with us? Is there any way? Is there something that you guys can do? So after several months and months of research and just through a lot of different trial and error, they finally built this computer where Rick, you know, and the, one of the only things he could actually do was kind of move his head a little bit to the side. All right, so they built a computer... And connected to something around his neck that if he moved, you know, through a kind of painstaking process, he could type to them. And so they built this thing for him, this computer. And on the day it was finalized, they just gathered everyone around just to see what his first words would be. You know, and, um, you know, Richard Hoyt, he wrote, he wrote a book called Devoted. And this is actually a second book about this, but I'm just going to read a segment from it, you know, just to kind of talk about that experience. You know, he writes, the room fell silent, and all we could hear was the hum of the computer. The doctor encouraged our son to go ahead and try to talk to us. With Rick in place and the crowd gathered behind him, everyone peered forward trying to guess what his first words would be. I just knew that they would be hi, dad. Judy was convinced he would type hi, mom. His brothers thought they might be Rick's first topic of conversation. Maybe he would tell us he loved us, or maybe it would just be a simple thank you. Rick began to type, tapping with the side of his head, a G. Then an O appeared on the screen. What in the world, I thought. For a second, I worried that our efforts had been in vain. Though I knew Rick understood us, maybe he didn't understand how to translate what he'd been taught into words and sentences yet. Rick tapped some more. First a B, then an R, then a U appeared. The light beam flashed over the letters. Rick concentrated and hit the switch. The U was followed with an and. And then an S, Gobruins. And some asked, you know, what's Gobruins? And there was the briefest of pauses. Go, Bruins! Go, Bruins! I shouted, practically jumping up and down. Rick nodded and smiled, pleased with himself. I couldn't, quite, I couldn't quit shaking my head and laughing. There wasn't a dry eye in that house. My heart swelled. I was so proud of my son at that moment. Not only had we finally proved that Rick was capable of communicating, but he really did love sports. <laughs> the long-awaited words of his son brought Rick, the, of his son Rick, brought his father Richard into a state of worship and thanksgiving, and also joy. The words showed that Rick really had the heart of his father inside of him, and that really brought such joy to Richard's heart. You know, when sons are walking in wisdom, and they're not just talking curses and gossip, you know, when they're walking with the father's heart, it brings joy and worship to the father's heart. But it doesn't just bring them joy. When we honor our fathers, it gives our fathers a new strength to fight the good fight and take on the enemy. You know, the second point that I want to make is the words of a son, give your father strength to face the enemy. You know, Proverbs 27, 11 says, be wise, my son, and make my heart glad that I may answer him who reproaches me. The NLT says, be wise, my child, and make my heart glad, that I will be able to answer my critics. You know, other translations say those who are against me or challenge me. You know, I remember a time a couple of years ago when I was going through, you know, just a very hard time, you know, and I was kind of in, in my own little spiritual famine and part of it was because I was leading these different small groups and I wasn't seeing any fruit. And I was part of Emmaus back then. Emmaus back then was very different. But I had a disciple. You know, one disciple, one brother named Chris. He's not in Korea any longer, so you don't really have to guess who he is. But uh, I just started discipling him and things started off so well. You know, I was speaking words of life into him and he was just soaking it all up. And I thought, finally, you know, I'm getting somewhere with my disciples. Finally, I'm, you know, I'm doing something right. But through a string of different circumstances, Chris ended up leaving Korea and going back home to the States. You know, I told him I wanted to keep in touch and still speak into his life. But as I talked to him, you know, just the vibe I got from him was, you know, I'm gonna be busy, you know, I don't really know what my schedule's gonna be like. It's kinda of like a slap in the face. You know, I remember thinking at that moment, Wow, you know, I'm not really meant to be a discipler. You know, I'm not really meant to be the father of these guys. You know, none of my sons are bearing fruit, and if anything, they're worse off after they've gone through me. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever felt like that before with your small groups, but, you know, it doesn't feel very good. And when I look back now, you know, I can see that those words were an attack from the enemy. You know, and they were there just to bring me down and to turn me away from my calling. And it was about half a year later that I got an email back from Chris. You know, I'll just read quickly part of it for you. You know, he writes... um, That, as well as a lot of issues in school, have been stressing me out. You know, it was then that I, instead of continuing the misery, suddenly remembered strength in Christ, and I searched for your email with identities in Christ. I'm reading one a day now, writing each one on a note, and putting it in a bottle. You know, and when I got these words from Chris, you know, I rejoiced that Chris was in a much better place. But something just shifted in my spirit as I heard the words of a son. And I received his thanks and I received the honor and you know it just shifted inside of me. You know, and that's the power of a son, you know, to go against to give you the strength to go against the lies and the attacks of the enemy. You know, and the third point I have is the words of a son have the power to bring the father into a new dispensation. I said it. You know, in the beginning of the story of Joseph, before he gets sold into slavery, Jacob is called by his new name, Israel. You know, if you guys know, God actually renamed Jacob twice. There are two distinct points in scripture. First in Genesis 32, after God wrestles with Jacob, he calls him Israel now. And then also in Genesis 35 at Bethel, God commands him to be fruitful and to multiply and that the nations and kings will come from him. He changes his name to Israel to propel him into his destiny. And this is his name and this is what scripture calls him Israel until his son Joseph, or until he thinks his son Joseph is dead. Or when his brothers come to him after, you know, and they tell him that his son Joseph is dead, you know, everything changes in his life. You know, in Genesis 37, it says, Jacob, Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. And from there on in the story of Joseph, every single reference to Jacob is Jacob. It's not Israel. You know, every single reference. But um, in verse 27 and 28, if you look in your Bibles, in Genesis 45, it says, but when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived, and Israel, and Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. The spirit of the old is revived and becomes the new, you know, upon the words of a son. You know, when he hears, when he hears the words of his son Joseph and hears that he is alive, his spirit revives and he is Jacob no longer, but he remembers his promise and once again he becomes Israel, his rightful name and the heir to the promise. You know, the words of a son have the power to take the father into that next level to remind him of who he is. Just to continue with my story before about my disciple Chris. You know, after he emailed me, you know, I was definitely, you know, I felt revived and I was worshiping God. And you know, I realized, you know, a little bit after that, that was the beginning of a complete shift in my discipleship ministry. Because the following next season, you know, the three brothers that I had, you know, in my small group, you guys might recognize these names. You know, Chris Mitchell, Ryan Duker, and Mark Rado. If you know anything about these brothers, you know, they are walking with the Lord right now. You know, and I remember that season because it was, it was probably my most special small group season. It was also my last, or one of my last. But, um, <laughs> you know, the season, you know, I called it the season of answered prayers. Because every single week in that small group, we saw breakthrough in so many different areas. We would pray for the most ridiculous things. And every single week, God would answer those prayers right away. You know, and, you know, I started not only that, but I started seeing people from past small groups just emailing me out of the blue and telling me how blessed they were, telling me how they were reaching a new level in their faith. And I realized that if it hadn't been for Chris, if it hadn't been for those words, or it was because of those words that I was propelled to a new level, you know, in my leadership, in my discipleship. And church, I just want to remind you, your words have power. Your words have the power to empower those entrusted to you to bring healing into their lives and to break off chains of bondage. But your words also have the power to bring the spiritual father of the house into the next level. You know, and one of the biggest things I remember, you know, when Pastor Daniels comes, Pastor Robert Daniels, you know, he's been here several times, and every single time he comes, you know, we're all so blessed by the revelation and the wisdom that just flows from that man. But one thing I always remember is, you know, every single time he has Pastor Christian and Pastor Aaron pray for him. You know, and for me, in the beginning, I just felt like it was so out of order. You know, it just does not make any sense to me. But every single time he would have him do it publicly in front of the whole church, he would have Pastor Christian and Pastor Aaron prophesy to him, you know. And every single time you would see him get visibly stirred up and you would see just something shift inside of him. And we think of him as this spiritual giant, but when his sons and daughters prophesy over him, and speak words into him, you know, I'm telling you, he's reaching another level you know, when we're walking in submission and in wisdom, our words have the ability to shift our spiritual fathers and leaders. And when they shift into that next level, so do we, you know, as we bless them and as we honor them, and as we speak words of faith and, you know, wisdom, they shift up, but they take us with them, you know, and it's just such a beautiful thing because we've seen it so often happen here at New Philly. And, you know, when we have the leadership banquet in just a couple weeks, you know, that's just really a time for the leaders of this house to feel the honor and to hear the words of the sons. And that's why it's so important. That's why it's so key to have events like the leadership banquet. All right. It's not just to propel the leaders up, but it's to propel you guys up to the next level as well. Thank you, guys.